We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back, Packers fans, to the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome to the weekend. It is your Saturday crew. I am Jason Perrone, along with Mark Eckel and Paul Brettel. Mark, how are we living? I'm doing the best I can down here. All right, fantastic. In these crazy times that we're living, that we that we are living in, and Paul in the great state of Wisconsin. How are we doing? Fantastic, Jason. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. I am doing well, in fact. So, Give us the weather update. Give us the weather update there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was going to kind of skip that for once because I was like, I wonder if the, the audience gets tired of that. But, no, it's 108 degrees here in Phoenix. No no surprise. It's July in Phoenix, so it is what it is. 108 is not bad. Um, you know, it's, it's been hotter. Yeah. And I think, Paul, aren't you kind of in the middle of what I remember in my days in the Midwest was that one week a year where it's just really hot and humid? That's been about the last two weeks, and it was there was a slight two-day break, but it's coming back, or already is back, so it's back to hot and humid. All right, so if you're you know out cutting the grass or doing anything like that, just make sure you stay hydrated. Working a little harder. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of revisit a past draft today on our on our show. We're gonna talk about the 2018 draft because this is the 2020 season is that critical third year for for this draft class and after the third year it's typically said that you can appropriately assess a draft class so 
without any further ado, I'll just real quickly recap who the Packers chose in that draft and when. I'll just go through the names real quickly, and then we can kind of go through them and talk about some of the highlights and, unfortunately, some of the lowlights because this draft has is still kind of at a tipping point, right? So in 2018, this was Brian Gutekunst's first draft behind the wheel of the car, and his first draft pick in the round one was Jair Alexander, cornerback. So uh, he moved around and finagled his way back to pick Jair Alexander and was able to pick up another first-round pick in 2019 from the New Orleans Saints, which eventually became Darnell Savage. And in the second round, the Packers got another cornerback, Josh Jackson out of Iowa. A lot of hype around Jackson. He was projected in the first round by a lot of experts, but he ended up falling to Green Bay in round two. Round three, the Packers got Warren Burks, the linebacker out of Vanderbilt. Round four, they finally addressed the wide receiver position, picked Jamon Moore, who is no longer with the Packers. Round five, they had three fifth-round draft picks. They, they picked Cole Madison with the first, punter J.K. Scott with the second, and then Marquez Valdez-Scantling with the third fifth-round pick. Their sixth-round pick that year was Equinemia St. Brown, so they had a lot of wide receivers. And then three seventh-round picks, James Looney, who's an interesting story because he is no longer playing the position he was drafted at, Hunter Bradley, who is the team's long snapper, and Kendall Donerson, who is no longer with the Packers. So just real quick before we jump into the granulars of it all, 9 of 11 of these guys are still tied to the team. Mark, what is your headline for the 2018 (laughs) draft so far, knowing that there's still a lot yet to be discovered and written? Um, headline, Alexander the Gray, and not much else. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess that's fair. Paul, what would your headline be? Make or break. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. There's, there's a lot of guys to kind of talk about here. I mean, when we start, if we go in order and we start with Jair Alexander, I mean, he's on his way to becoming a star. I don't think there's any question that he's made it in the NFL and he was seemingly worthy of his first round draft stature so i mean you know what else can we say about a guy who in the in the third year i mean i thought he might have taken a little bit of a bigger step forward in 2019 but i'm not concerned that he can't still do that this year he just seems like a smart instinctive corner he's kind of everything you want in a cornerback mark would you agree oh I, yeah i i called him out there great i mean no, he, yeah, he was a very good pick you can't i mean um, actually, better than he was projected to be. Um, I remember that that draft. He was not. He was considered a, you know, a low first round pick when the Packers took him at what number eighteen, I believe it was. Some people thought that was a little high. They thought he, you know, some people had him going like, you know, low twenties even. Um, they saw, and he also did fit the Packer mold at cornerback that had been established, I guess. Uh, way back to the Ron, Ron Wolf days and then followed by, by Ted Thompson. The Packers usually draft bigger corners. Um, but they saw something in Alexander. And Alexander plays bigger than he is. Let's, let's be honest. Yep. You know, his, his vertical is very good. Um, he's, he's pretty physical for a guy his size. Uh, he's a complete package. I mean, he can cover. Uh, he can run. Um, he's athletic. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no reason why he shouldn't become a perennial pro bowl cornerback well and paul we talked about jire a little bit last week about how ideal might it be if if the packers had the flexibility to even move him 
inside a bit just because of what Mark said. He's so versatile and he's got a lot of tools in the toolbox. Yeah, I mean, he's a tremendous player and really he's, I mean, up to this point for the most part, he's kind of keeping this this draft class afloat. And before we dive into um, the, the players following Alexander, I just want to say this and you guys can chime in, but I assume you'll agree. Um, I'm, by no means do I, am I writing this class off yet. I think there's still a lot of potential for um, several of these guys who can step up this year and make an impact. But the way I see 2024 them and just the class in general is it's make or break, as I said, was my headline because there's, it's just been a lot of up and down inconsistent play or lack of playing time in general from several of these, you know, picks through the first five, six rounds. And if another year that takes place, there's a very good possibility that the Packers might move on from a few of them next off season, or they might not make it to week one of next year. So this is a you know make or break season. If a few of them can bounce back with Jair Alexander's talent and what he brings, that all pro potential, all of a sudden this class, you start going, okay, that's not too bad. If things go south, I don't know. Then it's just, it could look pretty, um, just not very good at all, even with what Jair brings to the table. I think it's fair that, to give the give it a chance and see what goes on here, but Mark, I'm looking at the list of players that fit that category of need to make a big jump and almost turn into something that they have yet to show that they can be, and it does make you a little, it kind of gives you a little bit of pause at least to say, well, how likely are many of them, or you could even say any of them, maybe, to do that? Yeah, I'm with you a little bit there. Yeah, I don't. Uh, well, same same Brown is is the, is one of the keys. I I think we're all hopeful that, and we talked about him the last couple of weeks as well. That he could be a decent wide receiver, not a star, but if he becomes a a solid contributor at wide receiver, that's a pretty good six round pick. Um, so he could make him him alone could could make this a better draft. And I'm going to go back to what Ron Wolf said a long time ago when talked talking about drafts, and he was pretty good at it. If if you hit on one out of every three picks in a draft class, you you did pretty well. So the Packers had what eleven picks that that year. You said it was eleven. Yep. So they need to get probably four four out of out of the, the eleven. That that would be a little bit more than than one out of three. Um, and then it's then it's a good it, then it's considered a pretty good draft. Well, they got we we know they have one in Alexander. Um, the punter is, I mean, he's not the best punter in the league, but he's, he's a punter. He's, he, you know, he, he, every once and again, he, his, his problem has been just not being that consistent. And then that might, that might come with, with time. Um, I was going to say, it's kind of sad to say that as of right now, I mean, it's just based off what they've done in, after two years, the second best player in the draft might be the long snapper. Yeah. That's kind of sad. I mean, I mean, he's been the most. He's you know he hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's been he's played every he's taken every long snap for two years, right? I mean, it's just kind of it tells you that's more of an more of, of an indictment of the of the second, third, fourth, fifth round picks that the seventh round long snapper is is considered one of the better players on it. Yeah, and I guess this was a year to address special teams. I mean, they spent a fifth-round draft pick on J.K. Scott, a punter, and they, they picked him before they picked Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Equinemius St. Brown, which is hard to, to you know, when you when you remember that and you think about it, it's kind of baffling. And then 
Paul, I don't know if you remember it as much. Mark, I know you and I remember 2003 when they used a, a high pick on B.J. Sander. They yeah. traded up. They, it, it, was a third, it was a third-round third pick, which is insane. It just and it was, did, did any of you guys get flashbacks to where you were like, oh, this guy's never going to pan out with such a high draft stature? <laughs> no, I just – well, see, I, I kind of follow Alabama a little bit. I'm, I kind of like Nick Saban. Um, I'm like the one sports writer that actually likes Nick Saban. Uh, but, no, so I, I thought that was a good – I liked Scott. I thought, you know, I said, wow, okay, that's a – I kind of like I, – I didn't mind that pick at all in the in the fifth round. I don't, he, he wouldn't have been there in the sixth round. He was going through – I mean, all the grades. Um, he was considered, you know, the top punter in that class. There was other – there was another punter, too. I forget his name now that went right – he either went right before J.K. or right right after him. There were two punters that went in the fifth round. I think Seattle took him, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, no, I wasn't I, – I did not have flashbacks to that ridiculous pick of, of Mike Sherman's. Um, what year was that, 2000? I think it was 2003, yeah. Um, that was just – that was awful. That was just <laughs> an awful, awful pick. Um, but there's a lot of those under Mike Sherman, so um, – no, I mean, and if 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 Scott, I mean, if Scott if if Scott's the Packers punter for eight to ten years, there's nothing wrong with that pick, right? Right. Yeah. No. And 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 remember, I say this tongue in cheek, Mark. Just remember that you know Mike Sherman's his justification was that hey, it's not just BJ. So he's a left-footed punter the ball is going to spin funny and the returners are going to fumble left and right because they're not going to be used to the, the spin of the ball coming at them I just I just remember that being one of his rationales when he made that pick and it was just like no you, you're not going to justify a third round yeah, this is you know this is Sebastian Janikowski they, they, moved, they moved up yeah worse than, trade, worse than taking him in the third they moved up they, they gave up more than that to get him yeah, it if was. I'm not yeah, you're probably right. I I've forgotten a lot about that uh, <laughs> that draft except for Nick. Actually, Barnett it was because... 2004. It was 2004. Okay, not three. All right. That was, oh, that, wait. You, I mean, what? I don't. I don't want to get off 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 track here. But talk about a bad draft. You want to hear the 2004 draft? I just looked it up. Oh, how I, about I... this? How about this draft? Ahmad Carroll, Joey Thomas, Donnell Washington, B.J. Sander. A bunch of trades, Corey Williams, Scott Wells. That might be the worst draft in Packer history. Mm-hmm. The only guy that made it, the only guy that made any kind of impact was the last guy, Scott Wells, the center. That's yeah, all. that's and, a bad draft. Oh my god! And do you remember? Do you guys remember how many years BJ Sander was the Packers punter? Less than one. One. Right. Yeah. If he made it, if he yeah. even made it through 04, he was he was less than I'm one year in the league. Yeah. Oh. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yes. We always. So why do we always do this? Right. Why do we always do this to our listeners, Mark? We always go down some sort of a road from Packers past where we're just shaking our head. And Paul's probably thankful that he was younger and didn't have to deal with it. Didn't remember as much about it. But although that's that's not necessarily true. Paul is a is a a savant. And we'll get to some of the stuff he's working on at Dairyland Express. You know, if he's not putting up five articles a day, he's slacking. So that's a lot of Packers knowledge coming at you there is, is what I'm trying to say there. So so getting back to the to the top of the list and some better news there. Yeah, Jair Alexander, the the arrow's pointing up and a lot to be determined at the at the cornerback position. Like we said in, in weeks past, if if you know the next guy we're gonna talk about can take a huge step forward this year. 
Or if Kadar Holman, for example, can take a big step forward, then Jair gets to move around and they can really kind of turn him into uh, a Swiss Army knife. I mean, wherever he lines up and plays, like you said, Mark, he plays bigger than he is. And that's all you ask of a cornerback. Just be around the ball and disrupt things. And Jair Alexander absolutely does that without a doubt. So moving into round two of 2018, that's Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, we talk, we've talked about him a lot. He's kind of slipped his way into our conversations at least the last week and maybe the week before that too, showed great in preseason his rookie year. It looked like he was going to be a guy, and that just never translated. He made a big special teams play in week two against the Vikings in 2018. He recovered the punt that Geronimo Allison blocked and scored a touchdown in special teams, and you just thought, man, those are he's a gamer, and he just cannot find the field. So, Paul, I'll start with you. I know we've talked about Jackson, so maybe we don't have to spend as much time on him because we've we've talked about him a lot lately. But it's, you know, if you want to boil it down to to the simplest issue, he's not on the field. Yeah, I mean, his uh, rookie season, he played or started in ten games, and he took his lumps. But I mean, to some extent, that should be expected. He's a rookie being thrust into that starting role, and but he did lead the team in penalties, and then twenty nineteen. Everything got derailed with that injury last summer, and then he just tumbled down the depth chart, and from there he was just never able to recover. And looking ahead, it's I obviously hope that he can take a step forward, but it's hard to see where he fits in. Um, he just he hasn't displayed that you know that speed that where you can trust him out wide um, on on a cornerback, and then inside if he were or he is competing for that slot role, if he is to see significant snaps there, just once again wonder about his quickness and how he'd be able to handle that. So. I mean, from his skill set and just, you know, obviously has great ball skills, but the speed is the biggest thing that I'm concerned about moving forward. But at some point, like you said, he has to see the field. Yeah, he's got to find to make his way on. So, Mark, is Josh Jackson going to find the field in 2020? I don't, I mean, <sighs> yeah, the optimist in me says, yeah, sure, he's going to improve. He's going to, he's going to get back to where he, when he was at, at Iowa and Gary Gray is going to really coach him up. And but I don't know. I can't. I, 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 I got to say this. You know, I, I do a lot of work pre draft. Um, I always have when I when I when I covered the Eagles. And um, I'm not I'm, I'm not you know, nobody's 100 percent on, you know, on, on on players. But when I've been wrong on a player, it's usually the other way around. It's usually a guy. I mean, and that was a bad pick. What did they take that guy for? And and that guy just turns out to be be pretty good. Rarely do I think a guy is going to be good, and he turns out to not to be good. And I thought I when they took Jack, when they got Jackson in the second round, I was like, wow, they got Alexander and like that's a perfect combination. The the smaller, fast guy, the bigger guy that makes plays. You know, I mean, he was really and Paul, you probably saw him play more in college than than I did covering the Big Ten, right? But, I mean, mm-hmm. he was good at Iowa. And I was really good. I mean, and I was good. It's not like he was good at, you know, West Tennessee State. He was good at, he was good in, at it for a good team, playing against good teams. I mean, I, I had, you know, scouts from other teams when I was working on on that draft in 28, um, 2018. I had a couple guys have had him as the number one corner. And nobody had him lower than, like, third. So, I mean, he was, you know, he was – I, I, I'm, there's something's going wrong. I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, and, and well, he, he wouldn't be the first great college player to not make it into pros, but there's ability there. I mean, we, we all saw it. So maybe, like I said, maybe, maybe Jerry Gray brings the most out of him. 
Um, but yeah, I thought that when that draft ended, I thought, well, you know what, the Packers are they're set at corner now for the next, you know, whatever many years. And this summer, they, this summer I'm is going to be. I was half right. <laughs> I was going to say this summer is huge for him because he played less than 10% of the defensive snaps last year. So clearly he doesn't have the the trust of the coaching staff. So now we're in these unusual times where preseason's already been cut in half. I mean, he's really going to have to make a count in training camp um, and in the preseason games that are currently scheduled. Otherwise, I mean, if he starts off week one, two, three, you know, as once again, as the, you know, fourth, fifth guy on the cornerback depth chart, it's just hard to see a, 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 you know, other than injury, an opportunity that's going to arise for him. Yeah, and I mean, I think maybe the Packers saw they liked his his skill set or some of his. I mean, he wasn't super fast. Paul, you mentioned his speed's an issue, but maybe they liked some of his athleticism that he showed. Or you know, I mean, he's he's bought into the defense and he's got that game face and he's got that kind of mentality. Just hasn't been able to find the field. And I guess that would be a good transition if we're just going to skip around just a, a tiny bit here. And Jamon Moore, the fourth round pick in 2018, he's not even with the Packers anymore. He's, he's with the Browns now. And he was a bust in Green Bay. I mean, he he couldn't get on the same thing. You know, great athleticism. Now he had the athleticism and he had the numbers that made sense as to why the Packers might look to make something out of him. But, you know, they thought they were drafting who was going to be a fast riser and another top athlete. He just never put it together. He he tried. I mean, he put out that, you guys remember when he put out that workout tape last offseason, he had his helmet on, he was working on his footwork and his route running, and you thought to yourself, okay, maybe he's learned from guys like Devontae how to prepare and how to keep yourself, you know, improving and fresh in the offseason, but it just, it was just kind of to no avail. That's that's another example there, Mark, of, of a guy who the Packers hoped was going to pan out. The athleticism was there, but it just didn't translate to the field. Well, he couldn't catch. Yeah, he dropped so many passes. Thing. That's a bad thing if you're a wide receiver <laughs> to not be able to catch because that's kind of number one is on on the list of things to do is catch the ball. I mean, yep. He had hands of stone. I mean, he was he was all. It's a shame, and that plagued him in college. I mean, w- w- with his size, speed ratio, and and that ath- ath- athleticism, he shouldn't have been a fourth round pick. He should have been a second, maybe a low. For, I mean. If he had better hands, he's nowhere near the fourth round. He's mm-hmm. long gone by the fourth round. Right. But that was the knock on him in college was he, he couldn't catch. He dropped everything. And it didn't get better. And it's a shame because like you said, he had he had all the all the right, you know, like good like I said, good size, great speed. You know, he ran okay routes, but he had to catch the ball. Maybe they maybe they maybe they, they should have moved him to corner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is why that is why a lot of corners end up playing corner because they can't. Damn chill. If, if if Kevin King was more of a receiver and less of a corner, he would have had, like you said, Mark, he would have had maybe seven or eight picks yeah. last year. So here's another another frustrating one. Like, let's go back around here. Oren Burks, the third round linebacker. So the athleticism, once again, here we are. You know, Goot's saying true to himself. He's sticking within that athletic profile. He was heavily lauded for his athleticism getting drafted. My initial thought was that injuries were what was holding him back because he suffered one in each of his first two seasons kind of early in the year, but he still wasn't able to get on the field. So it just didn't seem like that was really the problem. You know, he showed well in camp. He, you know, he's on the highlight films. We talked about the, the media tweeting and everybody getting excited about it. There was a video of him picking off a ball in front of Aaron Jones last training camp, but he didn't get a lot of opportunities with, 
Blake Martinez is the preferred starter and all the sub packages that the, the Packers ran, which meant there weren't going to be multiple linebackers on the field. But I also want to mention that Martinez kept his starting role through the coaching change. So that to me says that Oren Burks didn't show enough to get on the field it with McCarthy's staff or with Matt LaFleur's staff. I, I don't know if that sticks out to you, Paul, in terms of Oren Burks. Yeah, I mean, injuries have been an issue for him, like you said, it, and each of the summers now he's had to miss some time. But, I mean, at this point in his career, he's not a, a three-down linebacker either. He really struggles against the run. Once a once a blocker has him engaged, he's pretty much taken out of the play. And as far as his coverage goes, he still needs to get quicker and develop, you know, just diagnosing what's going on. And I think those are the two, along with the injuries, those three things have really hindered him. But that play that you mentioned last summer with Aaron Jones, I was there, and I was – front row watching and it was incredibly impressive it was in that moment where you go okay this is why they drafted him um you know just seeing his ability to stick with him in coverage like that and you know there weren't blockers that he had to worry about he was only focused on Jones so obviously that made it a lot easier than it would be in an NFL game but that athleticism that reaction that playmaking that was the oh there it is that's why they traded up for Oren Burks that's why they love this guy but in the you know the normal game setting the run or the tackle or sorry against the run and uh, in coverage he just hasn't been able to put it together yeah Paul you were not alone with that particular clip Mark I don't know if you you saw that but I know that you're you're I know you have your thoughts on Burks yeah I mean when I said I, you know, I was wrong about Jackson. I thought he was going to be good. And he went, I, I wasn't wrong about Burks. When they, I forget who I wanted there. I was trying to look it up to remember. Um, it wasn't Burks. There was somebody that's still there in the third round that I kind of wanted, and they and they took Oren Burks. I'm like, really? Linebacker from Vanderbilt? Tell me the last linebacker from Vanderbilt to do anything. Tell me the last <laughs> player from Vanderbilt to do anything yeah. in the NFL. I don't want Vanderbilt guys. Um, but you know, I mean, he, you know, you you said he wasn't on. You know, they the you compared Blake Martinez and said that, you know, they used a lot of stuff. Well, the reason they were using safeties instead of linebackers is because Burks couldn't play. I, I think uh-huh. in a perfect world, they would have rather had Burks and Martinez a linebacker and, and, and not have to use a Raven green until he got hurt. And then, you know, Campbell and a bunch of other guys, but that's, that's the worst pick of the draft of, of that draft. I mean, he just, and they traded up to get him too. So they gave up more than, more than, than just a third. Um, just, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll say this, and but a third round pick should be more than this. He's a, he's a damn good special teams player, and that's that's where his athleticism and and um, you know shows on the field because he, you know, he's he's good. He's very. I saw that uh, Redmond's graded out as their best special teams player last year. I don't know, I don't know who's doing the grades, but my my eyes told me that Burks was their best special teams player. He seemed like he was always. If he if if he wasn't making a tackle, he was you know around around the guy and, and and just doing. He's a but again, you know, if, if he's taken in the fifth or sixth round, you say okay, we got a good special teams player in the fifth sixth round. But third round, you you got to be be more than that. Well, there there was one uh, player out of Vanderbilt that ended up being really good for the Packers, and his name was Jay Cutler. 
So <laughs> he was uh, probably one of the best best picks the Packers have ever benefited from out of Vanderbilt. If you want my <laughs> honest opinion, so but but I yeah I I think yeah, yeah I I thank you for that too. I was waiting patiently for it, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. Uh, yeah, Oren Burks kind of disappointing, but at least he's contributing in, in some way. But like you said, Mark, when you're a third round pick, I mean, I, I don't think you get the hall pass for okay, he's a solid special teamer until you're maybe in the bottom half of the fourth round and later. You know, if, if you're right. earlier than that, you should be a contributor in some way, shape, or form, and Burks just hasn't done that yet. Now, his size isn't just going to change overnight. So, Paul, the issues that you mentioned that he has in run support are, are probably not going to fix themselves. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we haven't had a lot of, of updates on what the team is, is doing or what these players are looking like because there haven't been any activities. So, you know, hopefully we'll learn a lot more once camp drops. But Burks is going to be one to watch because the team's going to want him to pan out. They're going to give him the opportunities, and hopefully he does. But I talked about the fifth round, the busy fifth round the Packers had, and when their, their first fifth round pick was guard Cole Madison, an interesting case because he missed his entire rookie season as he was dealing with some mental health stuff and, and just kind of dealing with the tragic loss of his friend and former teammate from college. And then he, you know, he gets into in a full training camp. So he's essentially a rookie in his second year and he, he doesn't crack the lineup, isn't a starter. And he's, he's hanging on because the Packers used a, an investment of a, of a fifth round pick on him. And I didn't hear anything great about how he was looking in practice, but then his whole season got derailed in November when he suffered a season-ending knee injury in practice, and he wasn't getting a lot of push and playing time as it was, but I think he now faces a pretty steep uphill climb to get into the mix when you've got several preferred players in front of him on the interior of the offensive line, and a lot of them are veterans who've already established themselves. I don't know, Paul, do you do you agree? I mean, Cole Madison, I don't, and I'm not saying I don't think he'll be on the roster, but I don't think right. his I don't think his he could, you know, he may be a casualty, but I don't think his I don't think his uh stature or his his ability to move up is looking pretty looking too good at this point. Now, the guard position or interior line, that's one of the deeper units on this team and you know, having to we already know that Billy Turner, Lane Taylor are going to have spots. They just spent two draft picks on guards and Stepaniak and John Runyon, and then there's Lucas Patrick as well. Um, it's going to be really tough for him to make the uh, the 53 coming out of this summer, especially with returning from IR and um, just the you know he's not that experienced to begin with. Like you said, he missed the, his first season. Last year, it was shortened, even in practices, because of the injury. So it is an uphill battle for him. Yeah, and Mark, I, I, it sounds like you probably agree. Cole Madison's got yeah. got it got it up. He's up against it. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he makes. I mean, unless there's, you know, God forbid, a, a rash injury to the guys that we just mentioned. I I, I don't see him making it too. And, it, and it's a shame. The kid, you know, like you said, he 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 he, he walked away his first year to deal with some pretty serious stuff, and, and he came back. And, and and what a great story that was, was right? He, you know, he, he overcomes it. He comes back, and then he tears his knee. So it's just, I mean, that's just that's just really really bad luck for for a kid that you know. And now, like, again, if the Packers thought even a little bit of him, you don't draft, you know, three interior linemen this year if you think, you know, if you think you have something in, in, in Cole Madison. So, yeah, I, I think he he's not on the – like I said, I mean, today maybe put him on the practice squad. I don't know, maybe. 
I don't know. Probably not, because I, I I think they 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 like some of their other young linemen even better than him. Like the the, the kid from Virginia Tech they signed last year as a free agent. Um, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I think his days are numbered. Yeah, it could be. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but that's that's what happens when you you miss your first season and then you have an injury, and and sometimes injuries alone are just hard to come back from. And that's a big body, you know, big body putting a lot of weight on that knee and. We've seen guys come back and bounce back from it before, but you're talking about a guy who's not only trying to bounce back, but trying to take a, make a big jump forward. It's it's gonna it's gonna be iffy at best for him. I I think I'm in agreement with you guys, and I'm gonna skip over the two receivers because I want to kind of end with those two because we've talked a lot about Valdez Scantling and, and EQ, and just kind of round out the rest of the draft. So Mark, you mentioned you mentioned Hunter Bradley, and. Again, here's the Packers drafting a long snapper. When typically guys like that are taken as undrafted free agents, or you know maybe at the way back of the draft, so you know, he was drafted late, but he has panned out. I think there was some question as to whether or not he was going to work out, and he was going to be part of the you know the kicking unit with Mason Crosby and J.K. Scott, and you know with all that changeover, you got two new you know two thirds of the field goal unit you know, the key players on there are, are different, but it seems like he's figured it out and kind of gotten it together. And the Packers might have, you know, at least they don't have to have Brett Goode on speed dial anymore, which seemed to kind of be their solution every year for so many years. Right. No, I liked it again. When that, I, I go back to what my original thought was, but I was saying a long snapper. I'm like, yeah, they need a long snapper. Yeah, you know, maybe you wait and roll dice that you get him as a free agent, but maybe he signs some free agent. You have no no control. I mean, you make him an offer, but the Giants might make him a better offer. The Seahawks might make him a better offer. You know, you, you don't want to get a bidding war over an undrafted long snapper. Right. So, right. you know, let's let's look at some of the past seventh round round picks. You know, they take the the, the year prior. They 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 take Devontae Mays. He didn't make the team. It took Malachi Dupree. He didn't make the team. That the the the, the, the current year that we're talking about, Looney and Donners don't make the team. So it was a good seventh round pick. He made the, if your seventh round pick makes your team and is on it for two years, and now it's going to be three years, and he he don't seem to be going anywhere. I think it's a good pick. And don't forget the legendary Jeff Janis back in 2014, who. That was a good stuff. Made that huge waves <laughs> as a seventh round as a seventh well, rounder. You know, you know I, 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 you know, Paul. I don't know if we've ever spent much time talking about special teamers, so I, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on Hunter Bradley, or are you just simply one of those that says, "Look, if I don't hear his name, that's a good thing, and I'm happy." That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> you guys can correct me, but I don't have any snaps that come to mind over the last two years of you know him shooting them over J.K. Scott's head or no. anything like that. No. So. Um, like Mark said, he made the team. He's consistent. They didn't, haven't brought in anyone to compete with them, so they're obviously happy, and he's doing his job. And um, Jason, what you said about uh, the, him and J.K. Scott working on the field goal unit, uh, J- Jason Wildey in The Athletic last fall had an article. They're actually neighbors here in Green Bay, and they practice in the backyard. Real Awesome. That's great. <laughs> you love to see that, and especially if you're the next-door guy, you kind of get the inside scoop. You're like, all right, we're going to be we're gonna be in good shape this week. They're, they're, they got it down. They got their timing down, so that's awesome. I love to hear that. So then we move on to James Looney. So James Looney was drafted as a defensive lineman. 
All right, then in early December last year, I didn't make the team, like you said, Mark. He's a practice squad guy. But then in early December last year, it's reported that he's going to convert to tight end. And he dropped 30 pounds. So he's now going to try to compete for a spot against what I would assume would be Robert Tanya and Mercedes Lewis, but I don't, I don't know if that's if he's going to provide them any any competition. I haven't heard anything about how well he's done in practice or what if if any kind of chance he has to actually crack the roster. So, Mark and Mark, I think we talked about Looney a little bit when the news first hit right. at the end of last year, and we haven't really learned a whole lot else since then. So, I don't know if there's any updates you have on how you feel about that. I, it was a nice story when, it, like you said, when it first happened. Like, wow, okay, I'm moving the tight end, but. Then they draft a, a tight end in the third round this year, so that kind of, I think, puts the and they re-sign Lewis again. Right. He's a, I don't, I don't see him being on the fifty-three man roster unless, I don't, again, crazy injuries or something bad happens. You never know, but as of today, I, I think he's a very, very long shot to make man roster. Yeah, I think so too. And even with dropping thirty pounds, with where he was at at size wise, I'd have to imagine that maybe he's an even bigger dog than Mercedes Lewis. So is Aaron Rodgers going to say at, at the line of scrimmage, bigger dog? Or I don't know, Paul. What are you? What are your? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't see where he fits in. I think tight ends pretty much set with Deguara, Sternberg, or Lewis and Tanyan. And even for the top tight ends in the draft each year, we don't always or rarely do we see them make a big impact during their rookie year. For tight ends, it's a difficult position having to learn the nuances of, you know, the blocking technique and responsibilities like an offensive lineman, but also the route running and responsibilities as a receiver as well. It's a lot to take on, even for guys who've been playing that position all through college and are at the top of that level. So for him to be converting to that position, you know, it's only hasn't even been a full year yet. I mean, I just I just don't see how he's going to come in and make an impact. If I had to guess, maybe they stash him on the practice squad because I find it hard to believe that halfway through last season or whenever they he decided to make the switch or they asked him to, that they would ask him to do that and then cut him, you know, nine months later. So maybe he's on the practice squad and they just, well, you know, yeah. we'll see what we can do or see what we have. Yeah, keep him on the practice squad for another year. I mean, why not? It doesn't – especially aren't they aren't, – didn't they expand the practice squad this year as well? Yeah, I believe so. Did that go through, or is it, is, is it just being talked about? So, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be on the 53. I can't imagine him no. on the 53. Well, you need somebody to simulate the speed of Jimmy Graham and practice now that he's the tight end for the Bears. So maybe James Looney can handle those duties, and, and you've got a tight end that runs about as fast as Graham, right? So I'm not Jason's hearing – full of zingers I'm today. not hearing the laughter. I'm yeah. not hearing the laughter today. All right, all right. Anyway – Okay, well, now so now we can get into kind of a good meat portion of the conversation. This will round out the 2018 draft. So I saved the wide receivers, so MVS and EQ for, for this, because we've talked about these guys a lot. They've also, like Josh Jackson, they've slipped their way into our conversations. And I, and I don't know what else there is really to add about Marquez Valdez-Scanling. He's just going to have to show up and, and kind of improve and be more of what he was in 2018 and, and show that that speed is back. Mark, you and I talked about how there might have been an injury that he was dealing with last season that just made him ineffective. Paul, you had the stats where his numbers just completely fell off a cliff in the you know uh, the, the second, third, and fourth quarters of the season. So I, you know, I, I don't know what else there is to, to add other than we'll have to just kind of wait and see. Paul, I'll start with you with regards to MVS. I'm sure you've probably written a lot about him during this offseason and whether or not you think he's primed for that bounce back or not. 
Yeah, I, I actually do think he is. You know, we think about the bad part, the second half of last year, where, as you said, his snaps and uh, numbers just fell off a cliff. But the first half of the season, he was had 21 receptions and averaged nearly 20 yards per catch with two touchdowns, 133 yards against Oakland, 99 against Denver. And then during his rookie year as well, we saw those flashes. And he's still the best deep threat option on this team. He's got that 4-3-8 speed. And I know everyone's focused and talking about the Packers becoming more run-oriented. And I'm sure they are to some extent. But off of play action, Rodgers still likes to take his shots downfield. They're still going to need that deep threat. And I think MVS is going to get plenty of opportunities. But like Jackson, it's going to be important for him to have a good summer, to build that confidence back up for himself, but also in Rodgers and the coaching staff. Well, they have to believe in both him and Equinemius St. Brown because, again, they didn't address wide receiver outside of adding Devin Funches. And if you want to throw Reggie Begleton in the mix, but he's hardly any sort of a given. And, Mark, we've we've talked about all those factors before, too. So the team's obviously banking on Valdez-Scantling to kind of return to form. Yeah, and I think I mean, Paul brought up a great point. He he's their deep threat, and I think I, again, I'm, you know, I'm I'm not the mind of, of of Matt Lafleur. I don't know, but my thoughts on the Packers wide receivers. I think all three of us agree that we're not as concerned about wide receiver as a lot of people are, and it's not. And on on my list of concerns for this Packer team, it's not that high. I, I think receivers overall are going to be okay. I mean, you, you have a tremendous one in Devontae Adams. So that's, that's, that's not every, not every, but not every team in the league has a Devontae Adams. They, they do. And I think between a Funches, who's going to be a good red zone threat between MVS, who's going to be your, your home run hitter. Um, I think St. One will, we'll get the St. Brown later, but I think he's going to have a, have a role. I think LaFleur is going to mix and match and, None of their over like their overall numbers might not jump off the page at you, but when you add them all up, I think you're going to see like, hey, you know what? There was good production from the, the third, third, fourth, fifth guys, whatever, however you want to look at. Um, and MVS, like you said, you know, not every team has a guy that runs a four three eight, you know, and and like he's he's we've seen him do it. That's that's what I always say. When I've seen a guy do something, then I know he can do it again. If I never like. Josh Jackson, we haven't seen do anything, so I can't say. I mean, I saw him in college, but it's a different game in the NFL. I've seen Valdez Scantling make plays. I've seen him make important plays at, at, at important times of the game. So, yes, I, I would not. Again, I don't think he's going to put up super numbers and, and, and go to the Pro Bowl. But I think he can be a, a contributing factor to a, to a good Packer team next year. Well, that's a good point you yes. bring up, Mark. There's only so many footballs that can go around and, and – passes and plays and if the running backs are going to get involved and if they're going to focus more on the run and who knows if Deguara becomes a bigger part of the offense early on Jay Sturberger is going to take a step forward this season all those things there may not need to be a ton of pressure on these receivers that could actually end up being a good thing I mean if you want to jump over to Equinemius St. Brown I mean it's it's kind of a similar story but his injury was very it was obvious and we know he was hurt he had the gnarly Ankle injury suffered in, in Canada. I always have to throw Canada under the bus every time we talk about it because that surface was just so bad. But he missed all of last season after showing a couple of, of flashes in his rookie year. Here's another guy we've talked about a lot. You know, The one thing I'll say about Equinemius St. Brown, because we don't know how well he's going to return from injury, I would assume he's had a lot of time to recover and that his, his leg is better and he's going to have a chance to be full go 
at least we know that he had the quarterback's attention in 2018. Aaron Rodgers looked for him at times. He he found him at a critical point late in the game against the 49ers when they beat San Francisco on Monday night in 2018. He made a big catch against the Jets late in the season in a game that Aaron Rodgers decided, look, we're going to win this game. I don't, I don't want to be the crappiest road team in Packers history. We're going to win this game. And he found EQ for a big, a big gainer in that one. The question is, will it continue in 2019? I'm inclined to say that it will. Paul, do you see it any differently? Um, no, I agree. I mean, I would like to think so, but like you said, we, we just don't know. He popped a few times during 2018. Rogers talked highly of him even last summer before the injury happened. And I think, I think he can be a nice big slot receiver for the Packers. I think that's a good spot for him to fit in. But going back to um, what you guys are, or what Mark was saying previously, with all the pass catchers that the Packers have and in the Fleur's offense, this isn't going to be the four or five wide Green Bay Packers that we're used to seeing. It's going to be two and three receivers at a time rotating around in and out with Devontae being the one constant. So that doesn't, the Packers don't necessarily need five or six, you know, you know, stud receivers like they had back in the day. If they have three or four, they're going to be fine because they have plenty of pass catchers. You know, if we lose the title receiver, tight end, running back, and have pass catchers, the Packers have 11 or 12 between those position groups who are all going to see playing time, who all have experience in that role, you know, talking about the tight ends and running back. So I'm not, like you guys said, I'm not concerned either. And I think I'm um, excited to see both Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Equinamia St. Brown out of this draft class and the guys that we've covered, you know, not including Jair. I think these are the two that have the biggest chance to uh, make a big impact this year. And if they do, then according to Mark's calculation or, or, you know, Ron Wolf, Ron Wolf. Yeah. (laughs) Ron Wolf. Yeah. Ron Wolf. No, I'm getting Mark. I'm giving you all the credit. But then the Packers could, yeah, this could turn out to be an okay draft. But again, in kind of summarizing it, I'm, I tend to take a more conservative approach and say, look, I've watched a lot of football. Mark, you've watched more football than I have. Paul, you've watched a lot of football. We've seen so many examples of things work out that we didn't think would, things not work out that we were sure were going to work out. It's just, it's impossible to tell, and we just don't have anything tangible at this point really to point to but if these two guys pan out mark to you 2018 that does does that kind of redeem the draft absolutely because then you yeah, if if st brown and mvs turn out to be contributing players then you wind up with one five players out of out of 11 that are contributing to the team and yeah it could have been better yeah because your second and third round picks if Jackson and Burks don't contribute, that's, you know, shame on you for taking them in the second and third round and not seeing anything. But, but no, I mean, if, if you get, if you go, it's like the year, the year prior, the, the, the Kevin King draft. I mean, Josh Jones was a terrible second round pick, right? This Beagle, not a real good fourth round pick. But Aaron Jones was such a good fifth round pick that he kind of makes up for it, you know? So it doesn't, if the day after the draft, it doesn't matter where you were picked anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, it's all, all, other than your paycheck. It, it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, If and, and again, getting back to, to that draft, when they got St. Brown in the sixth round, I was like, whoa. Because he was not supposed – he was supposed to be like – some people had him as high as the second, which I thought was a little too high. But I thought definitely no later than fourth. Yeah, and probably fourth. Probably third. Mm-hmm. You know? 
for him to slip to the sixth, when they made that pick, I said, oh, that's I like this pick in the sixth round. You get this because I again Notre Dame's on TV all the time, so you 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 got a chance to watch him play. I thought he was a pretty good player, and to get him in, and I still think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, there's the value. That's your whole Not value. Not a great player, you no know I mean, but a good player. You know, yeah. pretty good, solid guy that can come in and, and contribute. I like what Paul said. I think he can be a good slot receiver. Hey, a sixth round pick. If you take away last year, a sixth round pick that made a couple of cr- critical catches. He didn't have the huge numbers. But if if some of these guys get on the field, that's already doing more than you than than on average a lot of sixth and seventh rounders do. Because by the time you get to the round six and seven, you're kind of in flyer mode. And if some of those guys even stick on the practice squad, then you know you can you still got a chance to develop them and see what they can turn into. But that he was an interesting case because I think some of the reason why he fell was because of some of the hype surrounding him and his family. And and again, I think. You know, I draw my own comparison here, but he was—he might have been, uh, you know, in a way, a victim of timing. Because if correct me if I'm wrong, and, and Paul, I'll ask you this because I think we've talked about it before. But wasn't wasn't that around the same time that Levar Ball was in the in the news every single day, and it just maybe teams had like you know yep. that fatigue over over an overbearing parent? Yeah, that was during LeVar Ball's heyday. Whether that that correlation's there, I'm not not positive on. But one other thing I wanted to add was what I find so interesting about this draft class is, you know, if MVS, EQ, if they hit this year or any two that you want to choose, this draft class is going to be fine, especially with Jair, who's all pro potential. But there's also a scenario where, you know, EQ doesn't rebound from his injury. MVS doesn't bounce back. Oren Burks, Josh Jackson still don't see playing time. I think there's also a, you know, maybe not as likely, but a realistic scenario where that happens. And then all of a sudden we're going into year four. They're still have a year on their contract left. And there's a possibility next a year from now we're talking our MVS, EQ, Oren Burks, Josh Jackson going to make the week one roster. So now if all those picks early on are not even making it through their rookie deal potentially, Always, it, this draft class just takes a total turn, and I'm not predicting that by any means. I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, I don't hope that to happen, but I think there is a scenario where that is a possibility. Yeah, it is, and that's why this was a great topic because we're finally at the point where we can talk about it and appropriately say, hey, we could make these judgments because this is about when you the rubber meets the road and you know what you have in a lot of these players. So this was a this or was what a, you don't have. Or what you don't have, yeah, it's it's you know it can go either way, and that's the that's the thing is even coming out of this conversation, and I, you know I learned a lot from what you guys had to offer, but I still don't feel any differently right now, and and nor do I think any of us do because we need to. It's it's what matters. It's what happens on the field that matters. So this was a good one. I'm looking forward to you know I know I say every week, well it's another week later, and we're closer to training camp, and hopefully we'll we'll know something, but it just doesn't seem like we're hearing a whole lot with regards to what's going to happen other than camp is going to start. And until we hear otherwise, that's, that's what we're going with. So Paul, we mentioned all your great work over Dairyland Express. What's up coming this week? Uh, coming out Saturday today, I have um, bounce back players. Now they're not necessarily players that I think will bounce back, but they're players that if they are able to bounce back, they're going to provide a big boost for this Packers team. And then just leading up to training camp, looking at individual players uh, moving forward nice awesome and then mark over packer report what do we got to look forward to um i have a story about 
some defensive um, battles I'm looking for to on that'll come out Monday, and then my last part of the, of the Packer by numbers the the nineties come out this week, and I'll 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 let you guess who number ninety two is. Yeah, I was just gonna say, not a lot of not yeah. a whole lot of not Any a whole lot. Not a whole lot of mystery we'll there. We'll save that for the readers. Yeah. Okay. You know, my, my clue. Uh, yeah, I don't want a spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, if anyone's if anyone's not sure, I would just say if you're not sure who you who you think Mark's choice is for number ninety two, maybe just pray on it. You know, maybe maybe the answer will <laughs> come you to go. you. So, all right, guys, this has been a good one. Look forward to doing it again next week. Everybody, enjoy the weekend, and as always, go pack, go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.